Father, may it be you living in us, living out of us, and living through us. Pray that you will bless this time as we open up your word, as we look at the transforming word of the Lord. Father, may it not just be for education as we open up the scriptures, but Father, may we seek transformation because the word of God is powerful. Your word is real, it is living, and it is life-changing. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. As we sang about your glory, as we sang about your death, may we remember those things in our mind and in our hearts as we open up the scriptures. Give me your words to speak, Holy Spirit, and give us ears to hear what you have for us this morning. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's really good to see you all this morning braving the, uh, the terrible, terrible weather outside. Uh, I'm really grateful that you are here. And I, let me just say for the WPXI announcement, it did say two different things. And that is because I did it wrong and they said that there was a comment slide and they did not publish the comment slide. So I had to go back and redo it. So those of you who are online, if you missed because I was wrong, I apologize. Those of you who are confused, I apologize as well. All right. Even pastors make mistakes a lot. So, if you could open up to the book of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. We are continuing in our series on the book of John, and this is part two of Can I Get a Witness? Last week, we looked at the life of John the Baptist, and again, we are going to be looking at the life of John the Baptist. So, John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. But before we get there, I want to share with you a story. There, many of you might, might not know, or many of you may, I'm not sure if you're college football fans, but Clemson won the national championship for college football. Now, I'm not normally a college football person, but for whatever reason, I started watching college football during the Christmas break because my mom's husband just had it on all day long. So I got, I got excited about Clemson. I wanted them to win. And what's incredible about this story of Clemson is that they had a freshman quarterback. A freshman quarterback. This kid is 19 years old, and they went undefeated. Could you imagine a 19-year-old put in the spotlight like this? His name's Trevor Lawrence, and he was phenomenal out there. You just, he was everywhere, throwing the ball, running. It was just incredible to watch this kid play football. Now, what's even more incredible about this young man, Trevor Lawrence, is that he believes and loves Jesus. He believes in and loves Jesus. In fact, when he was being interviewed, he said this, and I quote, he said, I put my identity in what Christ says, who he thinks I am, and who I know that he says I am. On a national television, a national televised interview, he says this, and then he goes on to say, my identity is not in football, my identity is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, to me, I look at this 19-year-old kid who is, is in college. He is just thrust into the most popular space of, of college football. And he's probably the most famous and most lauded college freshman to date right now. Maybe not in history, but in this moment, he's the most important college freshman. And he takes time to bear witness about Jesus. Now, there could be ramifications as he goes into college at Clemson. It's not a Christian college. There could be those people who jeer at him and laugh at him, but he didn't care. He spent time to share his witness, and he did it over and over again. After they won the national championship, he was interviewed, and he shared that it's all for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I share that because it should be an encouraging thing to see someone so young bearing witness about the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. But many times I think that we're afraid or we don't understand that we too have that same call. In fact, point number one is the same exact point that we used last week. And it's every Christian has a kingdom call to bear witness. Every Christian has a kingdom call to bear witness. Our world needs the witness of believers about Jesus Christ. We have a broken, pained, dying, frustrated world that we live in. They need the witness of Jesus Christ. And we as believers, we have a kingdom call upon our lives to bear witness. And last week we looked at the story of John the Baptist and how he bore witness. How he discussed three different ways in his life, humility, identity, and purpose. We looked at how as he lived that way, his life was bearing witness. And we talked about how we too can live in humility. How we too can live out of our identity and we too can live out of our purpose. So last week was things that we are. This week is more things that we do. And we ask the same question. How can we be effective witnesses in this world? If the kingdom call of every believer is to bear witness and to be a witness, how do we do that? I think many times in in, in church it's really easy to say, here's what we need to do. And then people just walk away from their teaching and say, yeah, go and do what I just told you to do. Well, how? The scripture is not just a what, it's also full of the hows. And so I believe that John's life answers the question, how can we be effective witnesses in this world? So now if you'd open again with me to John chapter 1 verses 29 through 34, you might already be there or you might not, but we're also going to have it on the screen for you. So here's the word of the Lord, John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. This is the following day after what we talked about last week. It says, The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. Wow. Those verses are packed with how you and I can be a witness. I think the first thing that we can see in the life of John the Baptist and how you and I and how he bore witness is that we need to take notice of Jesus and make others notice too. Take notice of Jesus and make others notice too. Just notice what was happening. He said the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, So as he was walking, he probably had all of his disciples around him. He was probably talking about repentance of sin and baptism. And he probably had just gotten done baptizing Jesus not too long ago. Because we know that he had already baptized and saw the dove lay upon Jesus and remain. And so as they're walking, and he probably has a crowd because he's a very popular guy. As they're walking, he sees Jesus and he points him out. 
He says, look, that is the one. It was almost like he was saying the beginning of his time of pushing his disciples off and saying, go after that dude because he's way more important than me. God told me about him, and I didn't know who he was until I baptized him and saw the Spirit of God upon him. And everything that I knew about this character, Jesus, this person who was going to be the Messiah, everything I knew, it clicked, it made sense. That is him. And he took time to point him out. Now, what would happen if John the Baptist was too busy to see Jesus? If he was too enamored with himself and too enamored with his followers as they were talking and walking around, what if he allowed his busyness to not notice Jesus, to hinder his ability, rather, to notice Jesus and to point him out? I think many times in our lives, you and I, we can miss Jesus because we're too busy or too bogged down or our minds are too full of all different things. But Jesus is working, my friends. He is doing incredible things in and through us. And when we see a God sighting or a Jesus moment, we've got to stop and bear witness. And we can't just notice and say, wow, that was really great. Look what Jesus did. We should tell everybody. When Jesus does something phenomenal in our lives, we need to say, look at what Jesus did. Listen, here's this crazy story of what was going on. Look at what Jesus did. Jesus did it. Jesus healed this sick person. Jesus saved this life. This person should have died, but they didn't. Look, that's Jesus. And there are even smaller moments in our lives. Maybe you've been praying for years and years and years for someone to come to Christ. Point it out. Show your people that you know. Talk about it. Maybe you were praying for a promotion and it was provided. Jesus did that. We've got to give honor to Jesus in every single thing in our lives. It could be too easy to be so busy that we miss Jesus. But it's not enough to just notice him. We have to point him out. You see, John the Baptist could have said, oh, there's Jesus, and he could have kept walking and just let Jesus walk past him. But no, he made a point to stop, and he says, behold, which means he's shouting. It's not just like, hey, guys, look at Jesus. He's like, everybody stop. There's Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's going to do. He was very diligent in pointing out Jesus, and you and I, we must be diligent in seeing Christ and be persistent in showing Christ. We must be diligent. Are our eyes open to what Jesus is up to? Are we asking the Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see when Jesus shows up? Holy Spirit, show me when God is on the move. Let me have the power and the ability to notice and to make other people notice as well. Are we being diligent in our seeing of Jesus at work? Let me challenge you. Open up your eyes. Because he is a living, breathing, loving God who is always at work. Always at work. Are we noticing what he's doing? We, like John the Baptist, need to keep our eyes open to the work of Jesus. We cannot allow our busyness or our schedule or anything else to get in the way of seeing Jesus and pointing him out. Our society and our culture is so busy. It is so busy all the time. We run, and even if you're driving and someone, maybe three seconds, they don't, don't go when the light turns green. Now, this, I found this to be not so true in Indiana as it was in Pittsburgh. But, excuse me, in the city, if you were there three seconds after the light turned green, 
scared. Like they're trying to get you to move. And you're like, calm down. Where do you have to go? And they probably just pull over and they go get gas or something. Like, really, it's not that important. Just slow down in life. <laughs> you see, but that's how we live our lives all the time. Just this anxious, let's move, let's keep going. But Jesus is doing stuff all around us, all the time. Maybe you were on the road here today and you almost got into an accident, but you didn't. It was Jesus. Jesus was with you to get you here. We must be diligent in seeing Christ and persistent in showing him. When he shows up, man, we need to bear witness, not just with our mouth, but also with our words. Or not just with our words, but also with our works, rather. The next thing we see in John the Baptist in verse 29, he doesn't just say, behold, stop everybody, look at Jesus. He says, the Lamb of God, this is him who takes away the sin of the world. He's better than me. He came before me, and he is more incredible than I am. He doesn't just point him out and say, look, look at what he did. He makes sure that everyone knows that he is living into his humility and saying, listen, I am a bum compared to this dude. This guy right here, this man right here, he's got the answers. He is the lamb that will take away the sins of the world. What's incredible about this small little sentence is that there are two really deep theological things that he is saying in one moment. And so the next point I think that you and I, as we are going to bear witness of Jesus Christ, is that we need to recognize that theology informs Christian witness. Theology informs Christian witness. Many people say to me, well, I don't understand all the, the ins and outs of Scripture, and I don't know the different things to believe, so when I bear witness, it's just a couple things I can say, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and that's all I can say. When people start asking questions, I don't know much more than that. Well, let's study some theological views and understand what's going on. What does it all mean? Well, in this small passage, John the Baptist, who knew the word inside and out, gives us a theological view of who Jesus is. Here's what he says. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. First thing that he shows us is that word who takes away, that, that takes away is called ero, which means destroy. What he's saying is that Jesus is going to destroy the sins of the world. In that small phrase, he gives us two theological views. The first one is that Jesus is our atonement, substitutionary atonement, which means that Christ substituted us for himself to atone for the sins that you and I deserve death for. We were substituted by Jesus. If we believe in Jesus Christ and know that he died for our sins, what that means is we should have been slaughtered for our sins. But Jesus took us out of that role and put himself into it. That's what he's saying in that small moment. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We read a passage in Exodus where it talks about the unblemished Lamb who is taking away sins by the blood of the Lamb. And you'll see over and over again in the Old Testament, a goat who is unblemished dies for the people the day of atonement. And the blood is what covers over the sin of the people for the following year. But what he's saying is he takes away the sin of the world. This isn't just a one-shot deal for one year anymore. This is forever. This moment right here is powerful. We need to understand. And in the Jewish mind of, the, of John the Baptist's audience, they would have automatically understood what he was saying. 
Sometimes we miss the power of this. But also he gave us our doctrine, which is called propitiation. And the same thing, what that means is that Christ is the one who bears the wrath of God on our behalf. Some people say, well, the God in the Old Testament is way different than the God in the New Testament. No, that's not true. Because God still has wrath towards sin and those who choose to continue to sin without believing in him. There is still wrath. But what happened is that Jesus took all of the wrath. You see those, those places in Old Testament destroyed because of their sin. You see all of that war and all of that stuff that was going on in the Old Testament because God's wrath. Well, guess what? That's what we should have had. We should have been destroyed the same way Sodom and Gomorrah was. The same kind of wrath is what Jesus took on himself. You see, this is so much bigger than just, well, my sins are washed away. That's, that's good. That's good understanding. But there's a theological depth that we miss in that. That God substituted us for Christ. And that the wrath of God, all of that, all of that wrath was put upon Jesus himself. John, the author of John, this book, also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And if you read 1st John 2, it is one of the only places that the word propitiation shows up. But it shows up there. And here he is hearkening to that reality, making us understand the actual depth of what Jesus will do. Because he didn't even do it yet. Right? I mean, people were looking at Jesus and saying, whoa, this is crazy. He was also talking about Isaiah 53. He was bringing it back to the prophetic picture of what was going to happen to the Messiah. Many people in the Jewish time really loved the Messianic prophecies where the Messiah was conquering and destroying and bringing wrath of God and saying, here's the second coming. All the Romans are going to die when the Messiah comes. and We're going to sit on a throne and we're going to be kings again. But no, John was saying, well, not yet. The first coming is about the suffering servant. This is what's going to happen. And so their minds, just imagine the Jewish mind is going back to Isaiah 53. The Jewish mind is going back to Exodus. The Jewish mind is going back to the Lamb and understanding that the Lamb bore the wrath of the entirety of Israel. And then he's saying all of that sin, the entire world, from now until the rest of existence, all of that wrath and all of that sin is on Jesus. Whew, that's kind of crazy. That's theological depth. And he just used one sentence. Can you imagine all of that imagining in one sentence? How much more does the Bible have in every sentence that it has? John the Baptist was very specific in what he was saying. And I think it's important for you and I to recognize that theology informs our Christian witness. And understanding the fullness of Jesus assists in us in sharing Jesus. We've got to understand the fullness of what Jesus has done. And it's exciting stuff. So many people say, well, doctrine's really boring. That's because the person teaching the doctrine's not excited about it. It's awesome stuff. It's incredible stuff. I could sit here and say, propitiation means that uh, the wrath of God was put upon Jesus. Amen. But that, that, does not, that does not help us grasp the fullness of what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing and what he has done and what that means. Essentially, what we need to understand is that sin is a big, big, big deal. 
It's a big deal. And when we can capture the understanding of the huge nature of sin and exactly what Jesus did in that moment, that cataclysmic moment, then we can look and say, wow, all of that stuff, that's huge stuff. I shouldn't take it for granted. I shouldn't think it's some light kind of stuff and whatever, wow, I sinned. Whoops-a-daisy. No, it's a big, big, big deal. Too much of Christianity is all fluff and no stuff. There's so much rich doctrine, rich theology in the scriptures that we can grasp and hold on to, and it will inform, and it will give us passion with our witness. Man, this is exciting stuff. It should jazz us up to understand the fullness of Jesus. However, I do caution us on the idea of theology. Because if we have so much knowledge and we're, we're excited about the knowledge and we're excited about the understanding, but we don't put our theological understanding into practice, then we're remiss as well. Because our orthodoxy, that's what we believe, should change and transform and inform our orthopraxis, which is our life practice. It should inform it. It should challenge it. We should live out of that theological passion and understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, he said this, and this is incredible. He said, The glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians is a more destructive evil in its effect upon the Christian religion than anything else. Whoa. It's not just head knowledge. This is not just for education. It's for transformation. Because when you and I understand the totality, the fullness of our sin, man, we should walk away from that stuff. We should be like, wow, that's a serious deal. Look at what Jesus took for me on my behalf. How dare I put something into that that didn't, doesn't need to be there? I want to live in the fullness of the Spirit with the ability to flow in His power and His passion, with His presence in my life, so that I can push that away and live to glorify Jesus with everything I do. Substitutionary atonement and propitiation. Powerful stuff. Sin is a big deal. The seriousness, seriousness of sin should fuel the urgency of our witness. It's not just about understanding the totality of sin. It's allowing the seriousness of sin to fuel our witness. Because if we understand the fullness of sin, and we look at people who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and know that the wrath of God is waiting for them because of sin, because they have not repented and believed in Jesus Christ, that should give us an urgency to say, Man, do you know Jesus? That should give us an urgency to live a different way where our works match our theology and understand that everything that we do, everything that I say, should bear witness to Jesus. Now, we're fallible human beings. That's not going to happen. But it can happen as we grow holier and holier and holier by the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit. We just have to surrender to that change, to that holiness, and ask the Spirit of God to give us that holiness Sin is serious. Too often in our culture, it's not looked at seriously enough. Sadly, even from the pulpit, many people don't even use the word sin anymore. 
They don't even talk about the severity of sin or the deep doctrines of what the Scripture teaches about sin. Sin is a big deal. The next thing that we can see in verses 30 through 31 in the life of, of John and how we can be an effective witness is that knowing Jesus leads us to make him known. Knowing Jesus leads us to make him known. What I mean by that is that, that Paul, or that John rather, John the Baptist, as he was living his life, he had no idea who the Messiah was. And God told him, here's what the Messiah is going to do. Here's what the Messiah is going to say. Here's what the life of the Messiah is going to look like. And John had no idea who he was. He did not know him. Now what's incredible about this is that Jesus was John the Baptist's cousin. So for him to say, I didn't know him, it wasn't like, hey, I didn't know who Jesus was. I mean, because I grew up with this guy. But he didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah until he baptized him and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and remained upon him. But as soon as he recognized who Jesus was, he immediately made him known. His goal was to lift up Jesus, even though it was his cousin. That would be really strange for me. If I was hanging out with my cousin and, and I knew that the Lord was saying, hey, the, the, when the dove falls upon him, when the Holy Spirit falls upon this person and remains, that's going to be the Messiah. And if I'm hanging out with my cousin Matt and I see the Holy Spirit fall and remain, I'm going to be like, I didn't know you'd be the Messiah. Are you sure? Right? I mean, you know, that, just that sense of, of shock and awe. And then he says something intriguing about Jesus. Now, if you know the following the story of the birth of Jesus, you know that John the Baptist was born before Jesus. So now John the Baptist knows that it's Jesus, knows that it's his cousin, knows that Jesus was born after him, but he says that he came before me. Well, what does that mean? Why would John the Baptist say that? If he knows who Jesus is, and he understands who Jesus is, and he knows that it's his cousin and that Jesus was actually born after him, why would he say he was before me? Well, here's what he's saying. It's another theological doctrine that Jesus is eternal. In stating the fact that Jesus came before him, he was saying, listen, he's always existed. You don't get it. This is such a big deal. He is actually God. When he emphasized the eternality of Jesus, he was also emphasizing the deity of Jesus. He said all this in a paragraph. And the people were probably like, what, what do you mean? That's your cousin. You know that he didn't come before you. You're really confusing me. But then it would dawn upon their minds, did he really just say that? Did he really just say that his cousin has always existed and will always exist some people probably thought yep he's nuts <laughs> all that camel hair and that honey is really getting to his mind but then other people would say wait a second maybe there's more to this whole messiah thing than we've ever thought before maybe there's more to this whole thing than we ever thought was possible you see, knowing Jesus leads us to want to make him known. His passion, he didn't care if it was his cousin and he would be embarrassed by saying that he was eternal. He said, listen, he is more important than I am. What he's about is way more important. And we're going to see later in the life of John the Baptist, he sends all of his disciples. He's like, stop following me. Go follow him. Just go follow him. He's way more important than me. 
Right before he died and was killed by Herod, he sends his disciples away, saying he's more important. He understood the power and the passion and the glory of Jesus himself. We too have the same mission of making Jesus known. You see, Jesus and his mission are greater than us and our mission. No matter what you think your mission is in life, the Bible says that our mission is to glorify Jesus and to make Jesus known. Are our works and our words matching that? We've been talking about that since we started the book of John, the reality that our words and our works should match up to declare the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. That is our mission, and that's exactly what he knew, John the Baptist knew. He said, my purpose was to point to him. My goal in life was to point to him. Are we allowing that same mission to encourage and strengthen our witness? Because we have the same mission as John the Baptist. That's why this perfectly fits our understanding how you and I can be an effective witness in this world because of what he's saying and what he's doing is exactly what we should be saying and what we should be doing. Are we living into that? This is our mission as well. If you look at Acts 1.8, Jesus declares, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our goal is to spread the gospel, the truth, the story, the reality of Jesus his death, what that means, how it atones for our sins, his resurrection, how that conquers Satan's sin and death in one blow. We have a responsibility to share that to the world. It is our mission in life. You see, but John the Baptist, with his actions and words, he gives us many ways that we can make an effective witness in the world. The third way that we can see in this passage is to recognize the Spirit alone empowers our witness. The Spirit alone empowers our witness. Let me read 32 through 33 again. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. If you and I try to bear witness in and of ourselves and do not ask the Holy Spirit to assist and empower our witness, it will not have eternal ramifications. God can use anything, absolutely. But we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, to speak the words of God, to know who we are supposed to be speaking to, to empower us to live the gospel. Because, my friends, you and I cannot live the gospel in and of our own steam. It, it just can't happen. It will not happen. We can't even understand the Bible without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Something incredible that happens in this scene, too, is that John the Baptist is saying that the Holy Spirit came and remained upon Jesus. Why is that important? Well, we talked a couple weeks ago that Jesus is our blueprint. He is the blueprint of the kingdom of how you and I are to live on this earth. So what that means is, is that Jesus, when he came to earth, was both fully God and fully man. But he chose to lean into his humanity and he surrendered to the Holy Spirit to show you and to show me how we are to go about doing that. 
Jesus chose to step down into humanity and make himself nothing and show us how we are to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is incredible. That's why he can say everything I've done you can and will do. Because we have the same Holy Spirit that rested and remained upon Jesus himself. And look at that Acts passage again. Before they could be witnesses, Jesus says to them, to them this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen, we need the Holy Spirit. We need an encounter with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said he baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and that shows that the Holy Spirit is for all believers. You've heard me say this before. There is no junior Holy Spirit. No one gets a junior Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit. That is God. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God because he said, in our American church, we have forgotten the power and the reality of the person of the Holy Spirit. We miss him. We don't get it. We've kind of walked away from that. But we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is so that we can fulfill the mission of the Holy Spirit, which is to glorify Jesus Christ. Now, the CMA has the, the, uh, a belief about the Holy Spirit, and I have the same belief about the Holy Spirit, is that when we come to know Jesus Christ and we believe in him, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But there are subsequent fillings that we allow the Holy Spirit to take more and more and more control over us. Look at the book of Acts. They had the Holy Spirit fall upon them. But then you'll see as the disciples move forward, it says, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them, came upon them. It happened more than one time. And that's the same way you and I are to be, living surrendered to the Holy Spirit in those moments, asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us the ability of what he's called us to do. Now, some people might think, well, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, so this or this or this is going to happen, and maybe this, this, or this happened, but the result of the filling of the Holy Spirit will always be to glorify and bear witness to Jesus, because that's the Holy Spirit's role. That's his job. Our mission and our, our witness will change when we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you doing that in your life? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to take more and more and more of you and letting more and more and more of yourself go so that he can have more and more and more access to your life? Because if you're not, you need to be. Because the Holy Spirit alone empowers our witness. And any believer can give witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is that none of us, none of us has an excuse. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit and you have access to his power because Christ said so, because he sent the Holy Spirit for that purpose to glorify Jesus. As believers, none of us has an excuse as to why we are not bearing witness. No one. We can't use that, well, I don't know those doctrines. I don't know all those different things. Well, the Holy Spirit can open up your eyes. God, what does this mean? So when we read the scriptures and we see John the Baptist say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, man, that should make us say, well, what does that mean? We can go back to the cross references of Exodus and Leviticus and say, wow, that's what it means. Now I get it. Now I can explain it. But we need to ask the Holy Spirit to ignite our knowledge. 
when we come to the, the scriptures, as we are doing 91 weeks together, stop and pause and pray before you read a note or before you listen to the commentary, before you open up the scriptures and say, Holy Spirit of the living God, speak to me as to what this means for my life today. What does it mean? How do I live into it? How can I allow your spirit to empower me to understand and then practice what I'm learning? Any believer can bear witness, can give witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must point to Christ when we see him show up. Learn proper theology for more in-depth witness. We must know Christ to share Christ. And finally, but most importantly, we must rely upon the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit and not try to do it on our own. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the word of God. I thank you for the passion that John the Baptist had in showing Jesus and explaining his mission. God, it is so powerful. It is so incredible to understand the fullness of what you did on the cross, Jesus. Taking all of God's wrath, bearing all of my shame, substituting me for yourself. I know I don't deserve it. You know I don't deserve it. Yet you still did it for me. God, I pray that we'll catch the severity of sin. May we be encouraged to give witness with urgency because of that reality. And may we surrender more and more and more of ourselves to follow your mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.